Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment. Your time to shine. Your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career. And you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deckett. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. It's quite possible that some of us listening to the show today or tonight are listening in a hotel or a motel or an Airbnb. A Holiday Inn, perhaps. Sure, perhaps. Or an Express. Holiday Inn. Mm-hmm. Or a Best Western or Go Classy. Maybe a Western. Ooh, Knights, Knights Inn. Knights Inn, something ritzy like the Ritz. Or a Hilton. <laughs> yes. The, uh, the hotel we're going to be speaking about today is currently a Hilton property. Yes. Perhaps Knights in White Satin. It's true. Yes. You know, that sounds actually not about Knights at all. It's about like Knights as in in the evening. Knights oh. bathed and dressed in White Satin. Hmm. Just realized that pretty recently. Unrelated. <laughs> but it's true. There are all sorts of strange things that happen in hotels Similar to um, spending time in an airport, spending time in a hotel is is uh, occupying a limbo, a liminal space. It looks like a home. You do things that you would do in a home, but it's not really a home. There's something uncanny valley about it. And today's story is about a very strange, extraordinary thing 
that occurred in a hotel, and we don't mean extraordinary in the way it's often misused. Today, usually extraordinary is meant as a compliment, but actually extraordinary just means something out of the ordinary. And that is the the way we are using it today. So let's set the scene. On January the 2nd, 1935, a well-dressed young man calling himself Roland T. Owen walks into the Hotel President in Kansas City, Missouri. The man is not carrying luggage. He's heavy set. He appears to be a fighter of some sort or at least someone who's had experience fighting because he has a visible cauliflower ear and a horizontal scar on the left side of his face. Quick cauliflower ear thing. You'll mm-hmm. see this if you Google images of a lot of MMA fighters. You can right. see what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a very easy thing to spot, right? Mm-hmm. This man calling himself Roland T. Owen requests a single room with no windows facing the street. He pays cash, which you could do at that time, right? Uh, Which was the normal way to pay for things. In 1935. In 1935, and he checks into room 1046. When the cleaning staff goes by his room, you know, to change the sheets, change out the towels and stuff, they find the man calling himself Roland T. Owen sitting in a dark room exhibiting signs of profound fright. He tells the staff that he's expecting someone to drop by. So, okay, so far what we know, scared guy sitting, you know, alone in a room that he wanted to stay away or he wanted to be a little more anonymous than usual, mm-hmm. hiding out in a hotel. But it's, you know, it's it's mysterious, but it's not all that insane, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a little Blair Witchy, though. It reminds me of, like, the dude standing facing the corner in the Blair Witch, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's like, and on its surface, it's not that weird, but when you know a little more about the backstory, it becomes even weirder. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And to explore this story, we're going to shift through various different perspectives, uh, primarily people who work at the hotel. So first, what do you say? Let's start with the maid's tale, if we want to make this Canterbury tale-esque. Or a Hulu original, maybe. Oh, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) The non-handmaid's tale. That's right. So at uh, 10.30 in the morning on January 3rd, the day after uh, our our protagonist, I guess, Roland T. Owen, checks into the President Hotel. A man calling himself Roland T. Owen. That's right. A uh, member of the cleaning staff goes up to, the, to room 1046 where he is. She notices that the door is locked and she, you know, it's kind of a normal thing. Doors are locked when the cleaning staff comes by. Mm-hmm. They knock generally and say housekeeping. She opens the door. And she, because she assumes that Owen is out maybe at breakfast or having a meeting or something. Because she notices the lights are off too. Exactly. Lights are off, doors locked. I'm going to clean this room. Well, instead, as she opens the door, as we said earlier, she sees him sitting alone in the dark. Yes, you heard that correctly. Just sitting there in the dark. Now, before you say all that is so insane, I just have to bring up a fact that I enjoy doing this a lot, actually. Is it, in, in is my it free unusual? Time. To do that? I, I don't think it's that unusual. I'm right there with you. I spend hours each week actually in, in locked in a bathroom in the dark uh, with the shower on, just sort of thinking. 
Nice. I definitely take showers in the dark when I can. Am I the outlier here? I think I'm the outlier here. Oh, yeah? Am I the only one that finds this strange? I don't know. I, I got into it when I was a kid. I We had a drum kit in this room that had no windows in it in my parents' basement. And Ooh. I would go in there, shut the door, and like use a flashlight or something, or turn the light on, go sit down at my throne, and then turn off all the lights and just practice playing drums in the pitch black. And I found it to be riveting. Do now you, I just like to do things like that. Didn't you have a similar setup with your drum kit in your last house too? I did, but it was in a basement with one window. I don't know, man. That basement, when I went down there, it felt like a kill room. Yeah. And I have a very high tolerance for strangeness. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was just the uh, factor of the basement itself. Having, having the drum kit was just a, a nice little accoutrement. Were the walls covered in plastic? Sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. When, you know, when season was right. You are not uh, digging yourself out of this uh, hole of weirdness very well. Man. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> so you, so it sounds like two-thirds of us are on, on board with this. He might have also been dozing off or yeah. sleeping. That's, that's quite possible, right? But the maid is standing there, you know, she notices or senses somehow <laughs> yeah. this person sitting in this room and she realizes the room is in fact occupied. And then Roland pretty much tells her not to touch the lights and he asks the maid to leave the door unlocked as she exits because you see, he says, he is again expecting someone. So this is the second time he said this. And then according to uh, a Mental Floss article that's written on this very subject, uh, it says that the maid ended up returning to that room to deliver fresh towels. And this time when she went in, she found Owen lying on his bed now. He's fully dressed, but there's a note on the desk that read, Dawn, I will be back in 15 minutes. Wait. And, and that's Dawn spelled D-O-N. Yes. So who's now we've got Dawn. We've got another person in the mix. Is that like Donald or the Dawn? Oh my God, Matt! Right. I never thought about Whoa. that. This is, is gonna like, this is gonna come back around. Yeah. yeah, this does come back around, and that's a good question. Is it is is it kind of the thing? Is it kind of like saying "sir"? You know what I yeah. mean? Or uh, Duke? Uh, th now we shift to the story of the motorist. Later on the same night, January third. There's a guy named Robert Lane. That is his real name. Uh, he's not a guy who calls himself that. And he is driving. He picks up a stranger a few blocks away from the hotel president. So the man was dressed only in pants and like, a, like an undershirt. Uh, and he had a scar on his left arm. Not an open wound, but like a big, very obvious kind of gash of a, uh, a scar that was on his left arm. And then when Lane told his passenger that he looked as if he was having a rough night, the man replied, um, I will kill that beep tomorrow. Uh, and, and this beep uh, comes, uh, we come honestly by this beep because the reports about this in the newspaper of the time uh, in the area, they removed this word and it's not clear what it actually was. And this guy, Robert Lane, that we're talking about, he he worked for the water department in Kansas City. So it's not like he was just uh, some random guy out there. He was doing his job when he interacted. Right. And I have a proposition uh, for, for the table, for the show. I have a proposition. Uh, we do not know what expletive 
he used. And we don't know exactly what the newspapers decided to censor. We may not ever know it. Yeah. But I stumbled across this great anachronistic – I think I said this to you, Noel – this great anachronistic insult. I love this so much better. <laughs> so what if instead of saying, you know, um, whatever – uh, gutter tramp, I don't know, whatever weird thing you want to put in there. What if he said, I'll kill that sockdologizing old man trap tomorrow? Sockdologizing old man trap. The old man trap. You old man trap. <laughs> I don't know why that tickles me. But you're right. You're right. He uh, He did work for the water department. And then later – when he's given the opportunity to identify this hitchhiker who, as you said, Noel, uh, was only in pants and an undershirt looking like he had been road hard and put away wet, he said, yeah, that's the guy I picked up. And they said, that guy is Roland T. Owen, or at least that's what he calls himself. Now, on this same night, January 3rd, just a quick mention, he was allegedly seen around the town at several bars. Mm-hmm hanging out with at least two women, like that night, seen hanging around doing stuff with them. Uh, the timelines are a little bit weird, just just a little bit. But they say he was on 12th Street, which, uh, you know, isn't isn't that far because we're, we're our last person, our uh, Robert Lane, he, he actually interacted with Roland T. Owen along 13th Street which is about a mile and a half from the hotel. So, you know, 12th Street uh, distance is not that far from there, right? All right. So it's it's completely plausible that he could be in that area, that there mm-hmm. could be some sand to those, those reports, which did not have um, – they didn't get widely publicized. If I'm correct, they were sort of hearsay or some rumors. Yeah. And we should also mention that the – uh, cleaning staff, the member of the cleaning staff, her name was Mary Soptic. Yes. Uh, so speaking of staff, and, and we are building a case here. We are going somewhere with this, folks. I know we're taking a circuitous route. But speaking of staff, let's go to the first bellboy who, whose name we don't have. Yeah. So uh, bellboy one uh, interacts around 7 a.m., with our protagonist. Uh, it's January the 4th, the phone operator at Hotel President, because, you know, there's an entire system of phone lines going to all the different rooms. There's actually a human being in 1935 that is operating these phones. Um, this operator notices that the receiver, the, the telephone in 1046, where Roland is staying, is off the hook. And so this bellboy goes up to check on Owen. And or at least to check up on the phone itself. And when he gets there, he finds that the door's locked and there's a do not disturb sign hanging from the knob. It probably says something like um, nary a disturbance or something <laughs> like that. Uh, he knocks and he hears somebody from the other side of the room say, come in. And again, he's like, uh, door's locked. Hello? Door's locked. Um, man inside the room just kind of ignores that he's letting him know that the door is locked. Uh, but then the guy says, turn on the lights. Kind of hard to do that when you can't get into the room. Bellboy uh, just keeps on knocking, but he ends up just leaving. But right before he leaves, he shouts through the door. He's the way he wants him to put his phone on the hook, right? Uh, it's just, you know? yeah. I'll do the voice. I'll do the voice. Put your damn phone on the hook, son. Because <laughs> that's because yeah. it's Hank Hill. That's the bellhop. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
that's that a, wasn't even a very good it's an, it it's an approximation of what occurred. Uh, but yes, he just like yells at him to put the phone back on the hook. And the bellboy just doesn't have his pass key on him at that mm-hmm. moment, so he can't go in and do it. So he just kind of gives up and goes downstairs. An hour's pass. Let's go to the second bellboy. A different member of the hotel staff goes up later that afternoon. So it's 7 a.m. January 4th when he has the, the first guy has that weird interaction. In the afternoon, this different guy goes up uh, and he does have his key on him. So he lets himself into the room and he finds the man calling himself Roland T. Owen lying on the bed in the dark. And from what he could tell, this man was very much naked and very much drunk. He also sees that the phone stand has been knocked over. So he doesn't turn on the lights. He doesn't say anything to this naked man reeking of booze. He just hangs up the phone, cuts his losses, leaves the room. Because at this point, it's, you know, it's been hours and hours. The operator is like, somebody hang up that phone. I need order. I'm the operator here. Hang up that phone. So that bellboy just did it and got out. And we have two more perspectives that are crucial to understanding this mystery. We'll get back to those after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part time or full time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, 
So does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. So we have our first returning, a recurring guest star here in this strange tale. The first bellboy comes back. Yeah, as well as the phone operator. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I should give her more credit. <laughs> you think she was a smooth operator? Uh, one would hope, yeah. Guaranteed. Because yeah. she, she runs a tight ship. She doesn't like phones being off the hook. That's right. In her hotel. That's mm-hmm. right. Because when we were talking about this, Matt, I was sort of like, man, very particular. Because, I mean, some people might take the phone off the hook so they won't be disturbed. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't it be kind of an affront to be disturbed for trying to not be disturbed? That's I a good question. Agreed. It also it also may be a situation where given phone technology at the time, having one thing off the hook could mess up the line for other other patrons. Yeah, and you gotta wonder too, was it like a safety concern? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where like they would want to be able to reach you or let you know if there was a problem or I don't know. Yeah. I'm just wondering what the what was the urgency with uh sending a physical human to knock on the door pretty aggressively, if you ask me. Maybe she, yeah, heard this crazy noise. On the on the all the old switchboard, and she was like, "Get this guy out of my ear holes." But she didn't want to say what she was hearing. <laughs> she didn't want to say what she heard. Man, she is it. she is the best witness that we have yet to uh, like really even discuss that we don't have information about. We need someone to go back to 1935 and interview the phone operator. Yes, yes. If, if you, you have your time that. machine, Don T- John Titor, yeah, right? Help. So, uh, so like like you said. She's pretty ardent about this. All phones shall be either in use <laughs> or they darn well better be hooked and on their proper stand. So she's a bit uh, of a stickler, perhaps. She sends one of the staff members up to check this out. He opens the door. He's got his key on him. And then he finds the man calling himself Roland T. Owen, still naked, still nude, um, but viciously brutalized. Someone has beaten the tar out of him, and he is on the edge of death. Of course, the hotel calls the cops. The cops find blood spatters festooning the walls, the bed, the bathroom. Roland T. Owen, the guy who calls himself that, appears to have been tortured. So not just roughed up, but maliciously, purposefully uh, victimized with an emphasis more on um, making things painful rather than just immediately killing the guy. Because he was stabbed, I believe, dozens of times very shallowly, which, into, which you know would show you that it was something to keep him alive in order to maybe make him talk or just mm-hmm. extend that pain as much as possible. Yeah, good observation, right? Because it's very messy to kill someone with a knife, uh, but it's very easy. So whomever it was, they knew what they were doing. 
and they did not want to immediately kill him. His skull was also fractured from what appeared to be a series of intense impacts from a blunt object. Somehow, old boy is still alive, at least for a second. And goodness gracious, did he have a strong desire to cover up who had done this to him. He literally said "I something along the lines of, I tripped and fell, you know, onto a knife repeatedly. Yeah. Very strange thing to say. He was trying to protect something. Right? Or somebody else. Or, or you, know. you know, what he had done. Like if may, perhaps if the police knew who did Ooh. this to him, they might know something that he had done. So maybe it was self-preservation. Or maybe he's protecting a third party. Or maybe he was involved in criminal activity. I mean, that's what you would think if you're law enforcement and someone said I slipped and fell. And maybe he was just like, I'm not a rat. You know? That could be it. He also could have been completely insane from the pain and torture. And just, you know, and probably had uh, undergone some brain damage from Mm -hmm. being whatever, kicked in the head. I mean, if he had a serious fracture there. Well, that's almost certain. Because the next thing that happens to Roland is he slips into a coma. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't make it through the night. Yeah. He's not in the coma for long. He dies that evening. So this brings us to today's question. What happened to the man calling himself Roland T. Owen? Here's where it gets crazy. It turns out there is no Roland T. Owen matching the description of this corpse. There are several people with the name Roland Owen in the world at this time and in the United States, and there are plenty of dead people who have that name, but none of them are this person. Roland T. Owen cannot be identified, and so law enforcement takes a tact that may be surprising to some of us here in 2019. I've never heard of this happening in the modern day. What do they they do? Okay, so yes, this is – it's very strange. And we've talked – we've all talked about this off mic, uh, how I, I don't think any of us have ever heard of this exact technique for identifying somebody. Um, for even – for other John Doe's, I've never heard of this. Like, no, just tell, no. them, tell us what it is. Yeah, they, they literally propped him up in a funeral home like window, which is one of the most macabre things I've ever seen. First of all, if I was walking down the street and saw that with my kids or something like that, I would consider that a – personal affront. Yeah. I certainly wouldn't be like, oh, look, it's Steve. I'd be like, Jesus, what is that? Get me out of here. Uh, Mommy, no. It's not a good thing. Not a good look. But yeah, they do this and it actually uh, yields some hits, right? Yeah. Several people around the area do recognize Roland T. Owen from various encounters with him while he was on this side of the veil, but none of them know him as anything other than Roland. And the police are at this point, we should add, the police are befuddled and they think that there's something um, something else at play, something beyond the mundane, uh, although horrific, tragedy of, of homicide. Because we didn't mention this, when they found Owen, right, and we said he was naked, but his hotel room had also been ransacked. There were no towels, no shampoo. He didn't have any clothes in the room. He had a label for a necktie, a hairpin, a cigarette, a safety pin, and a small uh, sealed bottle of sulfuric acid. What? What? (laughs) Right? Like, why? What are you doing with that acid, man? Well, then also, don't they find a broken glass of some sort Uh somewhere? Uh, Yeah, uh, in the sink, the jagged edge. 
uh, and the only prints they found because they didn't have fingerprint technology in the 1930s uh, came from the telephone stand and the police for some reason – Correct us if you're a forensic expert, but the police for some reason say, well, these are the fingerprints of a woman. Is that profiling? But I guess it would be if it's police officers trying to – I don't know. Maybe That's, the person just had dainty hands. Who knows? Mm-hmm. OK. So people could identify his body. Some knew him as Roland, but other people knew him by different names. You know, we don't have those names today, but I'm like, oh, that's – Alvin or Alfonso mm-hmm. or Beauregard, I don't know. And it turned out he stayed in more than one hotel before he stayed at the hotel president. There was another hotel called the Mulebach Hotel, and they knew him as Eugene K. Scott. Yeah, and they said he like stayed there for one night, and that was it. And didn't want windows facing the street. Yeah. Hmm. What is he up to? He all, oh, he also stayed the St. Regis. That's mm-hmm. another nice hotel in the area. Um, oh, and this time, his name – now, this is going to be mm-hmm. – uh, we don't want to spoil too much, but his name – he called himself Duncan Ogletree at that hotel. And he shared a room with another man who huh. was known as Donald Kelso. There's our Don. Don. Is that our Don? Don yeah. Donald Kelso? Hmm. Uh, then there was a – wrestling promoter who said that Owen, remember, looked like a fighter, had approached him a few weeks ago or a few weeks earlier and said, I'd like to sign up for some wrestling matches, but don't call me Roland T. Owen. Um, My name is Cecil Warner. Cecil Warner. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, all right, now I'm getting a little more of a picture. I'm assuming everyone listening, all of us have heard of these I guess uh, smaller wrestling matches or uh, more localized wrestling matches that can range from like family friendly to the macabre essentially. Now I'm imagining all these like uh, shallow cuts on him and injuries to his head. Uh If he's a local wrestler that maybe takes things too far, but we'll get into that a little later. Yeah, this not entirely related or tangentially related at best, but have you guys ever seen those kind of local wrestling matches? Oh yeah. I've been to a few. Yeah. yeah. When I was a kid. I saw it when I I saw one where the blood was definitely real and these guys were not were not faking it. Uh, all due respect to the kayfabe or whatever they call it in yeah. WWE, but these guys were actually beating the snot out of each other. The one that I went to was super theatrical in the sense that, like, the bad guy was often some sort of foreigner. Uh-oh. I'm doing oh, quotation boy. fingers. Yeah, and uh, and the, the good guy was, like, swathed in, like, an American flag or something like that. Mm-hmm. And there was some real hooting and hollering from the stands. Uh, it was out in, out in the country, out in, out in rural Georgia. Ooh, it, was a, buddy. It, was, it was a real experience. Were we... Were we friends? Have we met when you went? It was pretty recently. Okay. It was, it was like last year. Okay, yeah, because I, f- I feel like I remember that story. I would still I would still go check out one of those matches. But yeah, maybe maybe he was involved in something related to wrestling, to fixing a match, right? Or something with organized crime. But Or participating in a match. Mm-hmm. But that's that's the thing. The police are at their wits' end um, due to the circumstances of the discovery and the circumstances of this man's death, 
they say they need to identify him because they have the feeling that this may be a breadcrumb leading to something much, much, much more sinister. And they put his body in display, on display and they put take out an ad, yeah. take out ads telling people to help and to show up at this funeral home for the viewing. Hundreds of people go. And as we said, a lot of them know this guy under various different names. And far be it for me to criticize anybody for traveling under different names. Well, a lot of it goes back to that scar that he had on the left side of his face. Right, and the ear. And the ear, because it's just something, like you said earlier, Ben, you just would recognize that. So people are following this story in the local papers of the time, and the million-dollar question is, who the hell is this? Eventually, people just throw up their hands and say, you know, we tried our best, you can't win them all. They make plans to bury the body of the man calling himself Roland T. West and Eugene and Cecil and so on uh, in an unmarked grave at a potter's field. And a, a potter's field is where bodies will be interned if they have no survivors to take care of them or if they have no funds or no no will or they can't be identified. Mm-hmm. Now, just – OK. Let's go back to when – the news article comes out where they're announcing, here's this unidentified person. Let us know if you've heard of this person before. Uh, an anonymous person, a woman, calls the local paper and she says that somebody, somewhere, some anonymous person is going to pay for a proper funeral for this person known as Roland. And um, when when the local paper inquires about, well, hey, do you know what happened to him or why he ended up in this state? She says, quote, he got into a jam. Got into a jam. Who is this? Dennis Reynolds? This yes. is like a Dennis Reynolds description. He got all jammed up. <laughs> when you get jammed up, buddy. Oh, boy. But but seriously, that's, that's a strange thing to say, right? Mm-hmm. And – Shortly afterwards, another person calls in anonymously. This time it's a man and they call the funeral home and he confirms that he'll be paying for the funeral of this um, person calling themselves Roland T. Owen and he has some conditions along with his payment and says, not only will I pay for the funeral but he is going to be very – it is my wish that he be buried in this specific cemetery And then he says, he'll be near my sister. The man mentioned specifically Memorial Park Cemetery. And if we were to paraphrase, he tells tells law enforcement that Roland had jilted a girl that he, the unidentified caller, had planned to marry and that the three of them had met up at the hotel president. Ooh. And the caller says – Cheaters usually get what's coming to them. I'm not sure why they're all Southern, but it's just more fun. To I say. think it's a fun one to I do. I think we're just feeling it. I think you know? we're feeling yeah. it today. And, and uh, we would we would need to put in some more research to really give a Missouri accent. Yeah, I shirt. don't know what that would be. Kansas City. <laughs> That's what people call you, right? They call you Kansas City. Yep. So. He hangs up right after he says cheaters usually get what's coming to them, dial tone noise, the whole nine. Multiple unidentified people send flowers to the funeral. One order for flowers, $5 worth of flowers, has a card attached and it says love forever, Louise, L-O-U-I-S-E. 
And then time passes. It isn't until 1936 when a woman from Birmingham, Alabama, reads an account of this unsolved murder in the magazine American Weekly. And he, she thinks, it's fairly apparent in the article that this guy's name was not Roland T. Owen. Yeah. Nor was it any of the other names he used, most likely. Uh, So this lady says this corpse might be the missing child of my good friend. He left home in April of 1934, but his name isn't Roland. And we'll tell you what his name is after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. 
Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. All right, ready for this? Artemis Ogletree. Ah, you recall Ogletree from earlier? Duncan Ogletree, yeah. Yes, okay, interesting. So... The woman who finds this article in American Weekly, she reaches out to Artemis's mother, Mrs. Ogletree, and she goes on, the mother, to positively confirm the body of Roland T. Owen as that of her son. And law enforcement says, all right, we believe you. We agree with your claim. The timeline checks out. This is your son. We have finally identified this victim. It is Artemis Ogletree. Uh, He had left home, Uh, he had left Alabama in April of 1934, ostensibly to travel to California. But it's weird because for some time, the family, the Ogletree family, thought he was completely fine. You see, sometime after Ogletree's physical death, the family had received two letters from Artemis two typewritten letters after his murder where he claimed everything was fine. Don't worry about him. Plans have changed. He's now traveling the world. Oh, wow. So they did not know he was dead, but he certainly didn't write these letters. That's right, because generally when the mother had received letters from her son, they were all handwritten in a very specific handwriting that her son uses. Uh, These typed out letters were much more formal than what she was used to receiving, um, which definitely made them, or at least set them apart and made her a bit suspicious about them. Then before the mother actually found out that the son was dead, she had received a phone call from some man, some, I guess, anonymous person, but this person called themselves Jordan. This is so weird. Yeah. And he claimed Jordan, uh, claimed that Artemis was now living in Cairo, Egypt, had become married to some, at least unknown to the mother, wealthy woman, and that everything was okay. And he was just, he was living out his life now in Cairo. Yeah, it's very strange. So the authorities said, let's not push our luck. We'll settle for identifying the body. Yeah. You know, this, we may never identify the murderer or the murderers, um, but... It's amazing that we were able to bring closure to this grisly, grisly story. So these letters, by the way, said various different things. One said he was in Chicago. One said he was sailing from New York to Europe. These, it, it appeared as though they were real-time updates. And at this point, we can try to go – A a bit further than the police went. We don't have to settle for just identifying the body. You see, in the uh, decades, almost a century of time since the discovery of the of the murder and the death of Artemis Ogletree, hundreds of thousands of people have been working the case, attempting to figure out what actually happened to this poor, unfortunate young man. And they built some pretty interesting theories here. Was it 
a jilted lover situation. We've talked about those possibilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, did the unidentified male caller have a part in Ogletree's murder? Was, We're talking about Jordan. Yeah, that's right. Uh, was one of was he possibly one of Louise's siblings? A relative of some kind? Mm-hmm. Uh, was Memorial Park Cemetery a place where Ogletree's spurned lover could visit her grave? My question there, though, is why why bury your enemy next to the person who he, he wronged, who, who you did him in for? It feels like a mob move. You it know? feels like a mob yeah. move or kind of a twisted – uh, some sort of weird vengeance kind of thing, mm-hmm. like where it's like a power move. I don't know. It's very, very weird. It's like, Luis, you're my sister. I love you, but I cannot let this disrespect go unpunished. Right, there you go. Well, let, let's get back into just the concept of the jilted lovers theory here. Mm-hmm. So what we do know, or at least what we have heard here throughout the story, is that perhaps uh, Ogletree was in the middle of some kind of love triangle. And it the question then is whether or not like which side of the triangle he's on essentially. Right. Was he betrothed to someone where and he messed up? Was um his partner messing up in some way, doing something with someone else, or was the other person like the husband or something to that effect? So and there's really no way for us to know for sure like what that situation was, and it's difficult to go down all the different paths and try to figure that out. But we do know that this Don character was somehow in his room, involved in some way. At least there would be more information there if you could find it with this person. And the other – Louise is a possibility, and then you've got the fingerprints. I would say that's one of the more promising – Theories. One of the more promising avenues, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's another thing that occurs in 1937. There's a guy named Joseph Ogden. That's the alias. Mm-hmm. never says his real name and the police don't believe him. He is arrested for the murder of his roommates. Turns out Joseph Ogden is not this guy's only AKA. He's also been known to go under the moniker of Donald Kelso. Uh-oh. And – his description matches the description of the Donald Kelso who had stayed at the St. Regis with Artemis when he was going by the name Duncan Ogletree. Dude. But again, here's the deal. This – I guess there wasn't much else to learn here or it was just never pursued for one reason or another. So we don't know anything more about this lead. And then uh, let's bring in Jordan, the caller you brought up. Uh, could this guy – have actually, like, that caller who called himself Jordan, could that have also been Kelso slash Ogden, whoever that guy was? Mm. Um, and was he just trying to cover his tracks by saying, oh, he's off in uh, Cairo somewhere. Don't worry about him. He's fine. But either way, this person, Jordan, this caller, made himself very suspicious. Right, because all we know about this caller is that they called themselves Jordan. That's it. They didn't present identification or a birth certificate or anything like that. And frankly, we have two people who were definitely using multiple fake names, right? Mm -hmm. Kelso and Ogletree. Uh, We don't really know why they were using these fake names. And that that I think is is a fascinating twist to this tale because that's something they they don't want you to know. It was much easier to travel under an assumed name at the time. This has caused some people – and you can find these in various like uh, independent investigation threads or 
or the excellent subreddit Un- Unresolved Mysteries, various people have due to the secrecy and the fact that he was traveling at one point with another guy, they've said perhaps he was assuming a false identity to pursue a same-sex relationship, which would have been um, very controversial at that time. Absolutely. But in all fairness, there's not a whole lot – like there's no proof that that was not the case, but there's not really any proof that it was the case. So that's clearly speculation. Absolutely. It could could be, sure, but who knows? well, the other big question is, was there any kind of drugs, uh, drug involvement one way or the other in use or in sales perhaps? Yeah, I don't see how I – mean, I, I kind of almost lump that in with any potential mob connection, right? It yeah. could have certainly oh. been part and parcel of the same kind of toxic relationship, you know? It seemed like he was drinking very, very heavily, at least by the time he got to hotel president. Yeah, exactly. Don't know about the other stuff. Well, so – OK. So – Using assumed names because you're doing something, you're in, you're involved in some kind of illegal activity. That's why you don't want it to be known who you actually are. That's so. That's what we're saying. Um, I mean, I can I can imagine that. There's a isn't it kind of known that in Kansas City, Missouri, around the 1930s, organized crime was a thing. Oh yeah, this might this might be surprising to some of us listening, but it's true. The Kansas City crime family, also known as the Savella crime family, uh, is a mafia mafia outfit based in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, they've been there since 1912, uh, when the founders, the De Giovanni brothers, fled Sicily and landed in Kansas City, Missouri. Wow! Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I think of Kansas City, I think of stuff like barbecue or maybe there's some great art museums, but I don't immediately think of the mob. I'm just going to admit that I don't think about Kansas City, Missouri enough, and I vow to think about it more. Very take that vow very seriously, Matt. I am. You can't vow lightly, sir. All right. I'm going to quiz you on Kansas City in a week's time. All right, do it. <laughs> I just know there was a place, I think in New York, called Max's Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And it was not in Kansas City. That's all I know. Was it Kansas a, City. a restaurant? I think it's like a it was a famous music venue. Oh, uh, okay. Nice. Well, here's here's the weird thing. Not only is the mob a force to be reckoned with in Kansas City, Missouri, but they had a lot of paragovernmental control. Meaning that, you know, you you've heard the stories we also have a great story I've got to tell you guys off air to see if we can get it on the show. But uh, we've asked some of your fellow listeners before to send in stories about small-town corruption. Kansas City, in the, while it's not a small town, uh, in the turn of the century, in the early 1900s, uh, there is a lot of rank corruption. Prohibition ended in 1933. So just like a few years before Artemis Ogletree meets his untimely end, uh, and the family made a lot of coin off prohibition, but they also diversified. So they have different rackets, protection money from bars and restaurants, right? And things get ugly. They're involved in politics too, you know, uh, cooking the books in the race for governor of Missouri and, and things like that. So it is completely possible that when we when we add up these dots, these mm-hmm. breadcrumbs, it's completely possible that there's an argument for a criminal underground or the mob. Can I add one 
extra thing on top of this mob connection because I can totally see this uh, reasoning and we've illuminated it pretty well. What if he's on the other side of the law? What if he and Don, or maybe just he, was actually an agent of some sort that was investigating some of the organized crime? And that's why he ended up getting taken out. And then it's the mob connections that are arranging his funeral or, you know, paying for his funeral, putting him by his sister. What if he was a rat? Maybe. I mean, the only – the cops did hold that funeral, right? Yeah. There was a funeral service, but the detectives on the case were the only people who attended the funeral. Aha. Uh-huh. Which also makes you think. You know what I mean? Because yeah. if it's just a case, why would you go to the funeral? To just to to case the joint to see if anybody shows up? Right, to see if someone takes the bait. Right? Or if he is a part of your team. Or if he's, you know, if he's one of those – Undercover cops, people who work undercover at that at that kind of level of intelligence, it's brutal life. And you know, a lot of times they're never in the spotlight. They can't compromise. It's true. I'm thinking ben. of the wire. <laughs> it's true, Ben. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Are we just going to keep saying each other's names with increasing sarcasm? State Department. Hey, you guys, actor. be nice. <laughs> All right. So break it up, you two. <laughs> so. Um, it is true. It's it's not proof positive, but it is true that the Kansas mob could and did murder multiple people in this time period without a ton of interference from regional or federal authorities. Some because they were bought off or they were already in the thick of the corruption yep. and others because their hands were tied. Wow. All right. So is that the end of the story? Not 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 really. This is very strange because we have to ask ourselves whether a cover-up persists. You see, decades and decades later, there's a researcher based at the Kansas City Public Library. And like a lot of residents or uh, residents of Missouri or residents of Kansas City, this researcher has, has a hobby. They look into this, these kind of cases. So they are familiar with the case of Artemis Ogletree. They receive an anonymous phone call and the caller first starts asking questions. Have you heard of the Ogletree case? Have you heard of the person calling themselves Roland T. Owen? And they say, yes, I'm familiar with it. I'm a researcher. And then this anonymous caller says that they, they had someone who's close to them pass away. And they've been going through the belongings of this person because they had, they had died quite recently, and they found a box. Within this box, there were multiple newspaper clippings all about the same story, the so-called mystery of room 1046. But that's not all they find. They also say they find something. That's the quote. Something that was mentioned in these articles. Mm. And then they hang up. These people have terrible phone etiquette. <laughs> really? It's like out in, in television and in film, no one ever says goodbye on the phone. Yeah, and there's immediately a dial tone. Yeah, it's which true. Which, as we know, is not how phones work. Yeah, that's right. So that's where we're left at this point. In 2019, the old Artemis Ogletree, Rowan T. Owen story, that's, that's where we're left. Who was this mystery caller? Was it a, a surviving relative of Ogletree's murderer, um, a surviving relative or friend of his former lover, his paramour? What do you think? Honestly, 
Do you think it was mob involvement? Do you think it was just a, a love triangle gone wrong? Uh, what? Just tell us. Tell us your best theory and support it, please, with arguments. Then, then we will combine all of those and Ben and Noel and I will sit around a desk somewhere and we'll figure it out. <laughs> just, just to ourselves. We won't tell you guys about it. <laughs> and also, if you are listening to this and you are related to someone with inside knowledge of this case and you want to break it down for us anonymously, we'd love to hear you out. You can write to us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram. We're Conspiracy Stuff and or Conspiracy Stuff Show in those places. If you don't want to do that and you want to tell your story in three-minute bursts, you can call our number. We are 1-833-STD-WYTK. Leave a message. Uh, I've got it up on my phone again, so I'm I'm like going through them and putting more stuff out. Did you guys hear the really weird message mm-hmm. we got? Mm-hmm. I haven't listened yet. All right, well, you should listen to it. Okay. It's pretty fun. Is it weird? Uh, it's, it's great. It's Some, somebody fantastic. out there has a great sense of humor. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, you'll hear it soon. It immediately made me want to do another uh, listener call-in episode. Yeah. <laughs> we have exactly. a treasure trove. Uh, we also have – the three of us also have personal Instagrams if you want to follow our individual adventures. Yeah, mine is at Embryonic Insider. I am at Ben Bullen. And mine is at Sitting in the Dark Alone. Playing drums. All just pictures of Matt sitting in the dark alone. <laughs> so yeah, in, in the dark, no lights. They look really dark. It's just really, really dark. <laughs> you have to turn the sound on, right? Yeah, that's it. Uh, oh, you just hear me breathing. That's what the kids call a weird flex. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, there we go. Um, and if none of that quite bags your badgers, if you're tired of social media, you hate being on the phone, uh, but you want to tell us uh, something about this case or something fascinating from your neck of the global woods, we are all ears, or in this case, eyes. You can write to us directly. We are. Conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com. BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? 
Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com.